Oh, it is good to be back after taking an episode off. And this is going to be the last show before the trade deadline. A couple of players have already been on the move. Who else could be on their way to a new team? Records being broken, speculation, and more. Episode 63, Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Let's go. I said earlier, really good to be back here. Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Kyle Grimard, your host as always. Uh, yeah, took took a, an episode off, had a couple days to myself, um, had to deal with uh, some family stuff, but, uh, you know, it, it needed a little bit of a break, but it's good to be back, good to get back into the swing of things here. So I know with that, there was an episode missing. I appreciate you, you know, staying pat holding on and and waiting for me to come back uh we got to get to a lot of things that have happened over the last week or so instagram and twitter at st hockey podcast google podcast apple podcast and spotify if you want to stream along new article on the hockey writers involving the vancouver canucks is coming out of course we'll discuss them a little bit later on in the show and coming up tonight at about seven o'clock just after so i joined mike stubbs on his program friday nights on 980 cfpl news um Going to be a lot of fun catching up with Stubbs as well. And man, we got to talk about a lot of things that have taken place. Trades have already happened. We'll discuss the bigger one of the two uh, between the New York Islanders and the New Jersey Devils. Uh, The Canucks outbreak worsens and speculation as to what's going to happen with them and what they should do during this time. And we got to discuss Jack Campbell. And that's how we kick off the show today. I'm not, I don't love being that person that says, I told you so. Or like, I'm not a big person of rubbing it in people's faces. Uh, everybody enjoys being right, but I never normally, I don't flaunt it or anything like that. But I remember saying earlier on in this podcast a couple different times that at the bare minimum, Jack Campbell at least deserved an opportunity to roll as a starting goaltender for an NHL franchise. I'm not saying he was, but I'm saying give him a chance to prove that maybe he could be one. And I've never understood before, too, about people talking about, oh, you know, they got to deal with workloads and, you know, they got to deal with playing consecutive games. It is so much harder as a goaltender coming from experience to play inconsistently and infrequently than it is knowing you're playing every other night or you're going to start the next game. Right. And those people who are like, oh, they, they don't know the workload. Well, they're the same people saying, oh, goaltenders like Freddie Anderson and Tuka Rask play better when they're peppered with shots. And it's like, well, that contradicts your point there. But Jack Campbell sets a historic franchise record for the Toronto Maple Leafs on Wednesday. He established a new franchise mark with his 10th consecutive victory, stopping 32 of 34 shots and a 3-2 victory over the Montreal Canadiens. He was tied with Felix Potvin and Jacques Plante for nine consecutive wins with a franchise before. So it's actually, sorry, an NHL record and a franchise record. I've been saying it for months. Give him a chance to be a starting goaltender. A lot of people thought I was crazy, actually. A couple of people told me to, that you're, I was out to lunch. And I remember him. If you remember him back at the World Juniors, he was a stud for Team USA. I'm pretty sure he won the gold medal or silver medal when he played for the World Junior Hockey Championships. I think it was 2010, 2009, 2010. 
And the problem with him in the past is the fact that he's been stuck behind, you remember, Kari Lettinen because he was drafted, I believe, by the Dallas Stars. Well, they had Kari Lettinen at the time. Well, then they got rid of him and they traded him to well, the Kings. Well, the Kings had a guy named Jonathan Quick who won two Stanley Cups and a Conn Smythe Trophy. So he's always been behind a franchise goaltender or a guy who was the bona fide starter of a team. He's only 29 years of age. He finally gets an opportunity. And it's safe to say now, even I think when Frederick Anderson comes back into the fold for the Toronto Maple Leafs, Campbell is the de facto number one goaltender. At least until he really tails off. Going into Wednesday's game, he had a 944 save percentage. And it didn't really change that much because he stopped 32 of 34 shots. All I said was just give him a chance. And I knew it. The body, the, 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 the eye test showed me that he could be capable. Now, I'm not an idiot. And I don't think that as a, like, you need to be put in a, a position to be successful. You need to be put in a position where you're going to succeed. He was not going to the Buffalo Sabres and rattling off 10 straight wins. That wasn't happening. He wasn't going to the San Jose Sharks and rattling off 10 straight wins. But you go to a team who dressed their defense a little bit this past offseason, who has the offensive weaponry to bail you out in games where you don't necessarily bring it, bring your all. But Campbell has been terrific. Now, I also understand that at some point he's going to lose a game. At some point he's going to lose consecutive games. At some point he's going to be in a rut. But right now, even the games he didn't play poorly, there was a stat that was listed through his 10 through his 10 starts. They broke it down by goals against. Not one game this year has he given up more than three goals. Not one. That's the number that proves it to me. You can go 10 and 0, but you can win games 6-4, 6-5, 5-4. Right, you're giving up three, four goals a game. Jack Campbell hasn't given up more than four goals, more than three goals in a game yet this year. Now, I could be jinxing it, knock on wood, because I think the run he's been on is terrific. But yes, I do understand that at some point he is going to face adversity. He's going to get inside of his own head. But everyone talks about him being this nice guy, right? He's always got a, a positive attitude. The thing is, is I don't think that positive attitude goes away when he loses. I think the, the hard work and determination starts showing a little bit more. But I told you he was going to be good. I told you to give him a chance. Just give him a chance. See what he can do. Right? And I know a lot of Leaf fans, too, are very hard on Frederick Anderson because of the standard that he set through the first few years here. Right? He, he battled and kept this team in playoff series and games. Right, was was stopping 35-plus shots a game for, for the better part of it. But Frederick Anderson, there was something that was said. I believe it was Ray Ferraro. Ray Ferraro, or one of the analysts on TSN. And he said, the thing with Frederick Anderson... Sorry, no, it was Bruce Boudreau. Because Bruce Boudreau was the head coach of the Anaheim Ducks when, when Frederick Anderson was the goaltender there when he was splitting with Jack Campbell. Or Jack, Jack Campbell. John Gibson. And the thing that Bruce Boudreaux said about Frederick Anderson is Freddie Anderson is a guy 
that can't play hurt. You know, guys battle injury. You hear after a playoff series, guys come out and are like, ah, I played on with broken ribs or Patrice Bergeron played with like a punctured lung. Ovechkin played one year on like a broken foot. Goaltenders played through like groin strains and partial tears and all that stuff. He said, Freddie Anderson is not a goaltender who plays well when hurt. Freddie Anderson needs to be 100% healthy in order to give you his best effort. Now, that goes for saying for everybody, but a lot of times, right, guys can play through injury. But Frederick Anderson is a guy who cannot. Jack Campbell has already shown this year he can play through injury. He got injured in a game, I believe, against the Edmonton Oilers, played it through, pulled his pulled his grinder, did something, finished off the rest. No, it was the Calgary Flames. But he, but he finished off the rest of the game after being hurt. He did it earlier, too. A few games ago, he kind of looked like he tweaked something in the second period of a game, I believe. It was against the Flames as well. It was the series before, but regardless, Hutchinson played the next game. He got better, came back in the net. I said, give him a chance. Just give him a chance. See what happens. What's happened? He set an NHL record for win streak for the Toronto Maple Leafs, tying Felix Podvan and Jacques Plante. And he broke it. Unbelievable. Good for Jack Campbell. A lot of people, if you saw the interview after one Sportsnet, they asked him, like, what does it mean? Because all of his teammates afterwards, Mitch Marner, the video where he's, like, counting up all the wins. Austin Matthews saying, I'm so effing proud of this guy. And he almost starts tearing up. Like, that's the guy you want. That's the guy, none of you want in net, but you want to win for. And I'm not saying that that's not what Frederick Anderson is to them as well, because they love Freddie. Austin Matthews and him are, are, good, are good friends. But, man, when you want to win for a goaltender, when you see the effort they put in, it's next level for a team. So Jack Campbell establishing that record. Tenth consecutive victory. He might have a chance to even add upon it because they play uh, They play tomorrow against the Ottawa Senators. Pretty good chance to get his 11th straight win. Uh, another team, though, that has been, un- unfortunately, in the opposite mindsets of the news has been the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver Canucks have not played a game now in, in weeks. Of course, the COVID-19 outbreaks on the team. Upwards of 25 individuals, players, and staff getting hit with COVID-19. Some players getting infected. And uh, and there's the the discussion about the the Brazil variant, which is another ripple onto it, and is a little bit more harmful. And this time, you know, it, it's been tough because at this point too, it makes it seem like Vancouver might be on the they're they're a team now that I feel like other teams would were either looking at as a trade partner might be turned off now because of this COVID break, also due to the fact that they are in the Canadian division. And right, teams in the United States can trade with one another. Yes, there's still some sort of protocol you have to go through, but we'll talk about a trade that happened between two American teams. Kyle Palmieri was on the ice with the Islanders two days later. So there was no quarantine nonsense that had to go on. Now you, in, now you inject this COVID situation into the, into the matter, and just a lot of question marks, and teams are like, we're going to stay away. There's 30 other teams we could trade with. We're good. Now, with Vancouver right now, they sit two points out of a playoff spot. They're fifth place right now in the uh, in the North Division because Calgary's been just a tire fire as well. But the problem is the Montreal Canadiens have six games in hand, maybe five now. But for the Canucks to even have a shot at the postseason, they have 19 games remaining in the season. They would have to go about 15-2-2 roughly over their final 19 games, which puts them on about a 67-point pace, which is what the Canadians are on right now. 
Probably not going to go that way for two reasons. One, they haven't had that stretch all year. It'd be impossible. It's it's almost been impossible for the teams that have almost done that. Teams like Tampa Bay and Boston and whatnot. Number two is the games are now condensed, right? Because they've had games postponed. You've got to make up those games and still kind of reflect the schedule a little bit. They're going to be playing like 19 games in like 30 days. It's going to be insane for them. But, you know, this gives Vancouver now an opportunity to look ahead to the future and gives them maybe an early chance to to see uh, a couple of variables that are going to come up. You know, one of the decisions that they're they're going to look at is they have a few unrestricted free agents that are going to be up and which ones they want to resign. Brandon Sutter is one. Alexander Edler is another. Jordy Ben's another guy. All of them probably make the most amount of capital. They also have players like Travis Hamannick they need to, need to make a decision on. Jimmy Vc and Travis Boyd, who both were claimed off of waivers from the Toronto Maple Leafs. But, you know, if they're guys that they might want to bring back, they, they, they could see if they can bring them in on another one-year, you know, low-dollar amount deal. The other thing is they need to look at the restricted free agents, right? This now gives them an early opportunity and restricted free agents, they're two of the more important guys on this team. They've already locked up, you know, Bo Horvat, your captain, Thatcher Demko, they just signed to a five-year deal at $5 million per, and, uh, and, and Brock Besser. But now you've got to worry about two of your other superstars, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Elias Pettersson, when healthy, has shown he's an elite player in this league. He's averaged nearly a point per game, 0.93 points per game. He could command anywhere from 9 to $10 million. Quinn Hughes has been this superstar defenseman who's scoring points at a top five defenseman level. He could be a guy where he could sign a bridge deal at 6 or $7 million as well and then look to even cash in even more afterwards. And... You've got to look ahead to the Seattle expansion draft. Now, if you remember the Vegas expansion draft, what happens is you can protect certain players from getting picked, which means you have to expose a few of them as well. Now, the players that are probably going to get protected, I don't think Quinn Hughes actually falls under that category because I think he's ineligible, so he's they don't have to worry about him. But the players, let's just assume here, some of the guys you're going to protect include Elias Patterson, Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, JT Miller, Adam Goddad, who's looked really good. Tyler Motes looked pretty decent as well. Defenseman would be Nate Schmidt. I'd say Tyler Myers and then Ole Levy. let's just say. He's some of the younger guys. And then Thatcher Demko. So it means you're going to be exposing players like Jake Furtanen, Brandon Sutter, but he's a, he's a free agent, so they probably won't. Louis Erickson, Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, Michael Furland, right? Those are some of the names out there. And Braden Holpe. Now, I think Vancouver's hope here is that they take a guy like Holpe or Furland, a guy who's going to take off some money on the books. That gives them more money now to sign their RFAs. The reason I'm saying all of this is normally around this time, you're so honed in and focused on what's immediately in front of you, which is the trade deadline. But if Vancouver is not going to be a team that other teams want to get involved with actively in trades, it might give them an early glimpse and an early chance to look ahead and start pre-planning these things. Because as we all know, general manager Jim Benning 
hasn't necessarily made the best decisions in terms of signing guys and their dollar amounts and some of the deals they've made. Thatcher Demko is actually a pretty decent one. They just signed Tanner Pierce, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on as well. But the Jay Beagle deal, where he's a fourth-line, proven fourth-line center who makes like $3.5 million. Antoine Roussel, who had a, a one good year playing in Dallas's system, who signed at three over $3 million. Louis Erickson, who's been on the books forever, who gets scratched, is signed to like six. And then Brandon Sutter, who luckily is going to be coming off of their books, but makes $4.5 million in a trade with Pittsburgh. So if this gives Vancouver an early opportunity to maybe figure out the financials, if they're going to sign Patterson and Hughes, which they will, but there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of hoops that they got to jump through. Probably a few things you saw last year with Vegas, Vegas kind of screwed over a couple teams who were in a little bit of cap hell and said, listen, we'll take this guy, but only if you give us a first and a second round pick. Right? Like, we'll take this guy, but only if there's something else in it for us. And Vegas did that with, like, five or six teams. And they had a wagon their first year. And there's no doubt in my mind, with the with the cap not going up, with teams strapped and financially burdened, that Seattle's going to just come knocking on their door, phone's going to ring, and they're going to be like, hey, man, so here's what we were thinking. And they're going to offer something that that other team is going to basically be forced to do because they don't have the financial capabilities to go around it. So it's going to be interesting to see how Vancouver handles it because as of right now, they have $0 in cap space. You're telling me you've got to, you've got to create now. Let's just, let's just even be safe here. Let's say Pedersen signs at 8, Hughes signs at, I don't know. Five. That's low, by the way, because both players, I think, deserve more. But they're probably going to get. Well, if Sutter and Edler are gone, Alexander Edler takes, take, took up $6 million in cap space. Jordy Ben took up two. Hamannick takes up 1.25. And Sutter takes up four and a half. That's about 12 and a half, 13 million dollars. Those are those two players. But like I said, the bare minimum I think those guys make is eight and five. So just to get to the bare minimum, you can't re-sign Sutter. You can't re-sign VC. You can't re-sign any of your unrestricted free agents and basically give all of that money to two guys. Again, bare minimum. Cause Schmidt's locked up to almost six for the next five years. Myers is locked up to six for the next three years. And you've got a few other guys Holpe's locked in at four four point three million for the next year. You have a restricted free agent, Adam Gaudet, you still have to sign as well. Tanner Pearson is now re-signed at three point two five million, so his money doesn't come off. Michael Furlan's gonna come off the books and make three and a half million when he's off LTAR. Jay Beagle's gonna come off the books and make three million dollars for the next couple of years. There's gonna be some financial finagling that Vancouver has to do if they're going to make this work, and if they want to take a step forward from what they did this year. Because this year, they just did not hit those expectations. They had a really awful stretch, and they're never able to get back into it. But if they can find a way, if they if they use this opportunity now, and I understand, too, that you want to think about the health and safety of everybody before you know business. But at some point, the business has to be run. And I think it would be smart 
for the brass of the Canucks and Jim Benning to look ahead and give themselves an early outlook on how things are going to play out. Because if they do that, they're going to be better prepared for a multitude of different situations. And maybe, maybe they improve on themselves. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do. Uh, With the trade deadline happening on Monday, April the 12th, uh, a lot of speculation, a lot of rumors going around. Taylor Hall's being mentioned on some teams. Um, There's rumors about the Columbus Blue Jackets selling guys like Nick Foligno, goaltenders, bunch of other defensemen. Anthony Mantha from Detroit is apparently being rumored as well, which is nuts to me. But the first domino has fallen, and a trade happened between the New York Islanders and the New Jersey Devils. The Islanders acquiring Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac. Going the other way, the New York Islanders getting a first-round pick in this upcoming draft, a conditional fourth-rounder in 2022. Minor league forwards A.J. Greer and Mason Jobst. Uh, I think the condition is that that fourth round pick becomes a third if the Islanders make like the uh, finals or something, whatever the case may be. But this trade will probably kind of mark the domino effect and kind of it started the floodgates, right? Two guys that were, I mean, only one guy. I can't even believe Travis Zajac was involved in this deal. But Kyle Palmer was a guy, a lot of teams, you know, a top six forward who could go anywhere and really revamp some organizations. But uh, I think both teams, Get a decent win here. I think the Islanders win this deal more, though. Yes, Travis Zajac's 35 years of age. Kyle Palmieri's 30. Kyle Palmieri is a proven 20-plus goal scorer in this league. Zajac is a very nice three-fourth-line center. You have you have now acquired two roster players and not traded a roster player from your organization. One of the prospects you gave up as the Islanders in this deal was a, I think, second-round pick like five years ago, and he scored one goal in his career. So the quote-unquote prospects, they won't probably have an NHL future, apparently, is what what we're, what the article was saying. So really, you gave up a first and a fourth-round pick that could be a third for two bona fide NHL players, one who's going to play in your top six, probably with Matthew Barzell. That's a win for the New York Islanders. For the Devils, you probably weren't retaining them anyways. You can use that first-round pick. Maybe that third becomes something. Who knows if one of those guys maybe becomes something. On top of that as well, the Devils retain 50% of both Paul Mary and Zajac's salary. I hear everybody. I had a buddy who texted me, and he was like, oh, the, uh, uh, the Devils won this deal. That's that's the that's what you get back for, like that was a that's what you got back. Though I definitely think it's a, the deal is a win for the Devils. I was like, I don't know. You got Zajac in the deal as well, and apparently one of the prospects was a second round pick from six years ago who has one goal in his professional career. I just if the ask for Matthias Ekholm is the is the Jake Muzzin package where it's like a first, third, and a prospect. You gave up a first and a fourth for Palmieri and Zajac, basically, and two prospects who probably aren't going to play on your team. That's a monumental win, in my opinion, for the New York Islanders. But this is the deal that might trigger the, the domino effect moving forward. And there's another trade, of course, that happened, which we'll we'll get to a little bit later on as well. It was more of a... 
player, a roster moving deal. No big players. Brett Connolly was the biggest player on the deal that got moved. It was a deal between the Florida Panthers and Chicago Blackhawks. We'll talk about that a little bit more as well. But, you know, leave it to Lou Amarello to, <laughs> to start off the uh, the oldest GM in the NHL. Leave it to him to kind of kick things off and also get his guy. If you remember, Lou Lamorello was the was the general manager of the <laughs> New Jersey Devils. New Paul Mary acquires him and Zajac. I'm pretty sure Zajac is the guy he drafted, which I just think is hysterical. So, I mean, good on but good on both teams to get it started. I think the Islanders win the deal, though. I think between the two teams, I think the Islanders win the deal. That first round pick's gonna be like twentieth or, or lower. So, I think the Islanders win this deal. I think Jersey gets rid of some guys, especially they're not really necessarily a cap team. So they get rid of some money. Zajac was probably going to walk anyways. So they get a, they get something for him. And, you know, with Anders Lee coming back for the postseason, you know, now you get Anders Lee back. You had Kyle Palmieri, your top six, and you have Travis Zajac, who's going to be your fourth line set or something. So good on, uh, good on the Islanders, good on them for doing that. Uh, I want to move on here. The final story I want to discuss here. So, last night, the Edmonton Oilers beat the Ottawa Senators, the lowly Ottawa Senators, 3-1. to one. It's the final game that those two teams play between one another this year. The Edmonton Oilers won all nine games. They went 9-0. and They swept the Ottawa Senators. And they're only five points back of the Maple Leafs, and... They're all looking good, and the goaltending's been great. Here's the biggest question issue I have with the Edmonton Oilers. So the Edmonton Oilers right now, they sit second in the division. Again, only behind Leafs. They're ahead of the Jets, ahead of the Canadians. Mike Smith's looking good. McDavid and Dreisaitl are scoring. You know, if you take away just the games against Ottawa... The Edmonton Oilers have a record of 16, 14, and 2. And if you count those overtime losses as losses, they're basically 500. This was just an opportunity. This was just a, in my opinion, this is just a scenario where you have a team that's riddled with talent who took advantage of a team that very much so does not have talent. And again, kudos to the Oilers for taking care of business against the worst team in your division. No other team really did. I think Vancouver is the only other team that really manhandled Ottawa. Ottawa's played well against Toronto. They've played well against Montreal. Right? They've held their own. But Ottawa's the second worst team in the league. Or third worst team in the league. Behind Buffalo and Detroit. So without those nine wins... Against the Ottawa Senators, the Edmonton Oilers record this year would be 16, 14, and 2. Yeah, but Kyle, you know, Ottawa's beaten Toronto and Winnipeg this year, right? Toronto was also 6 3 and 1 against Edmonton this year. Edmonton's record against Toronto is 3 6 and 1. That's the record this year. Yeah, but they sit second in the division. They do. They do. Winnipeg has also endured countless injuries. Edmonton, outside of Oscar Clefbaum, 
has been fairly healthy this year. Yeah, but the rest of the team is playing really well. So Ottawa, so much or Edmonton, sorry, beat Ottawa last two nights ago. They beat them four two. Only McDavid and Drysaddle scored. Two other players got points in that game. Not goals, points. McDavid and Drysidle, two games ago against the against the Ottawa Senators, combined for eight points, all four goals, four assists. The only other two members of, of the Edmonton Oilers that registered points against the Ottawa Senators that night was Ethan Bear with a secondary assist and Tyson Berry with two. But not, of course, before Dry before Dreisaitl or McDavid touched the puck. Jesse Pujarvi didn't get anything. Ryan Nugent Hopkins didn't get anything. Nate Archibald, nothing. Darnell Nurse, nothing. Darnell Nurse, though, has been incredible this year. Just want to point that out. Kyle Turris, nothing. This team goes as far as those two players. And we've seen it in three or four game stretches when teams focus in on McDavid and Dreisaitl. Guys, they're 16-14-2 when they're not playing the Ottawa Senators. They're a 500 team. They're only five points behind Toronto, who manhandled them this year. Who swept them in a three-game series earlier this year, where McDavid and Dreisaitl combined for one point. If your argument as an Edmonton fan is, we have McDavid and Dreisaitl, it hasn't worked before. I'm not, here's the thing about the Edmonton Oilers. Connor McDavid is far and above the best player in the National Hockey League. It's not even close. Leon Dreisaitl won the Hart Trophy last year, and people argue he's the second best player in the NHL. So you're going to sit there and tell me you have two of, let's just make it fair, the top five players in all of hockey on the same team, and you're not running away with your division? You're not running away. You're not the odds-on favorite to win the cup. You have the two best. You have two of the best players in the world on the same team. In fact, on the same line. But they're five points behind the Leafs, who went six three and one against them this year. Okay. There is an easy blueprint to beating to beating. The Edmonton Oilers. Focus all of your energy on McDavid Dreisaitl. That's it. No one else on that team scares you. The only other guy is Darnell Nurse, but he's a defenseman who's got to make sure that your offensive guys aren't scoring. I'm not even talking about when they when they match up against the Toronto Maple Leafs. When the Winnipeg Jets are healthy. Right? The Jets, I believe, just beat them, by the way. Or just recently, they, they took him down. No, they just beat Montreal, but anyways. But when the Jets are healthy, when the Jets have Connor Hellebuck, when the Jets have 
Shifley and Wheeler and Ehlers and Connor and Dubois. They can just throw a line. You remember Pierre-Luc Dubois in the playoffs last year was an animal. You put him, Wheeler, and whoever on your other wing or Stasny and just and just solely focus on shutting down McDavid Dreisaitl. Well, now Mark Shifley and Nikolai Ehlers and Kyle Connor can go to work against your second line would be Puyarvi and I I mean Yamamoto's a good player too, but not better than Shifley. Not better than Ehlers or Connor. It was just a stat that that popped off the table for me today. If you take away the games against the Ottawa Senators, Edmonton is 16-14 and 2. It's all fine and dandy right now. All fine and dandy, right? Because they're winning. Right? They're win- they've they've they have points in nine of their last ten games. I'm pretty sure they played Ottawa in like five of them. <laughs> they're almost a five hundred team against teams not named the Ottawa Senators. You're going to match up with either Toronto, Montreal, or Winnipeg come playoff time. More likely right now, you're playing a seven-game series against the Jets. I'm taking the Jets in that series. Better goaltender, better offensive depth. And outside of Darnell Nurse, if especially if they add a defenseman at the trade deadline, Winnipeg's just a they're a deeper team. We've already seen what happens when they play Toronto. McDavid and Drysdale still get theirs, but they lose. Why? Because no one else is helping them out. Now, if Edmonton makes a move and they get a defenseman, they get a secondary score, Kyle Palmer is off the table. So now you've got to look at Anthony Mantha, if they can find a way to maneuver a trade for Taylor Hall, which I doubt, but who knows in this crazy world. Just keep an open mind. Right? Just keep an open mind. And let's not overhype Edmonton because they swept Ottawa. And collected 18 points from the third worst team in the NHL. Because against the other five teams in their division, they're 16, 14, and two. And of those five remaining teams, three of them are in the postseason. I'm just saying be careful. Yes, last night Ottawa won 3 1, and Yamamoto scored, and Puyarvi scored, and everything's great. But do it against teams. Where you need them. Because you don't need those guys against Ottawa. Edmonton showed it two nights ago when McDavid and Dreisaitl carried them. You didn't even have to dress anybody else. It's all this hype about, about being five points away from first in the division. And you played Ottawa nine times and won every time. Down the stretch here. And again... They, the remaining games come against basically Vancouver and Calgary. Those are the two teams that they play the most moving forward. But I'm just looking ahead here to Edmonton's schedule the rest of the way. They got 15 games remaining. They played 41 games so far. They got Montre- or they get Calgary, two games against Canucks. Then they get five straight games 
going Winnipeg, Montreal, Montreal, Winnipeg, Winnipeg. Then they go Calgary, Calgary, which Battle of Alberta, you never know. Vancouver twice, and then they finish off the season with a two-game set against the Montreal Canadiens. So over their final 15 games, they play Montreal four times, the Jets three. Half your games are going to start coming against playoff teams. Calgary, it's a battle of Alberta, and you never know how Calgary's going to play Edmonton. I'm pretty sure this season so far, Calgary and Edmonton have almost split their their season series. And Vancouver, Thatcher Demko's playing a lot better. So it's not... It's not a foregone conclusion that Edmonton's going to keep playing this way because now they don't get these games against Ottawa. Ottawa's done. They don't got to worry about McDavid Dreisaitl anymore. Now you've got to move on and you've got to play Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie on defense. And then you've got to match up against Mark Scheifele, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Stasny, Ehlers, Connor. Just, I just, I'm just saying. Edmonton is a playoff team. Whoever they play, they're going to pose so many nightmares for the opponent. But only two nightmares. McDavid and Dreisaitl. That's it. It's a very easy game plan. Right? It's like when you play it's like when you play against a, an NFL team and their only good players are quarterback. Like when you play against the Seattle Seahawks. Basically they're just saying, "Okay, just focus on Russell Wilson. Beat us with anyone else but not Russell Wilson. Beat us with your run game." Law harder said and done, absolutely, because you can make magic out of nothing. And that's what McDavid and Dreisaitl do. But there's not waves coming at you. You've just got to worry about two guys. And if Edmonton's putting them on the same line, it makes life so much easier. Because McDavid makes anyone look good. You put him with two fourth-line players. You put him with Zach Cassian, he's going to score 20 goals. But if they're playing together, Nugent Hopkins doesn't scare me. If I'm Montreal, if I'm Winnipeg, you put your two best defensemen, you put Philip Deneau, right, who's one of the best shutdown centers in, in the in the game. You put him with like Josh Anderson, someone else, and they just absolutely physically belittle you. And then all of a sudden you're racing out with Kokteniemi and Suzuki and Toffoli and Edmonton doesn't have that. You got Yamamoto, yeah. He's 5'6". You got Nuge, but Nuge only really benefits playing with McDavid Dreisaitl. Oh, yeah, but the Zach Cassian, well, same thing, right? He benefits playing with the two two of the best players in the world. I know I'm ranting on this one, but I'm just I got I've seen so much hype this morning with the with the Edmonton Oilers and they back in there they've li, they've leapfrogged Winnipeg and they're within striking distance of Toronto. Well, one, you don't get to play Toronto anymore. Two, Toronto took you to school in the season series going 6-3 and 1. You're beating up on Ottawa for the past like 5 games. You get Winnipeg and Montreal 7 of your next 15 games. And then you've got the Battle of Alberta and Vancouver to finish it off. Who right now aren't really I'll, the Battle of Alberta, you never know what happens. Vancouver, they're kind of starting to figure things out, but of course with COVID right now, they haven't played in a while, so we'll see how all those transpire, but very, I just, I want to throw my two cents out there about the, about the Oilers, right? Everyone got hyped up about Ottawa before the season started. I'm like, slow down. 
Everyone was losing it because they thought people thought Buffalo were gonna were gonna make a run for the playoffs this year. Before the season started, people were saying with Taylor Hall and Eric Stahl and Jack Eichel and Victor Olsen, they're gonna make a run for the postseason. I'm like, slow down. Look at the division that they're in. No, they're not. And well, look at them. Yeah, I'm not I'm not bragging about me being right. I was just I was all I was saying was slow down, right? Look at the competition around. Toronto got Toronto addressed exactly what they needed to address last year. They got tougher. They added Wayne Simmons. They added Zach Bogosian. And they added TJ Brody on defense. They got deeper. They they added they brought in Alex Galchenyuk. They still might make another move. But we'll see. Anyways. It's my rant on that one before we uh, finish off the show here. Uh, we mentioned the Vancouver Canucks earlier. They signed forward Tanner Peterson to a three-year contract extension worth an AAV of $3.25 million. That was announced yesterday. It is a full no-move clause in the first year and then a modified uh, seven-team trade clause moving forward. Uh, Tanner Peterson last year set records for uh, for goals and assists. I think he had like 40-plus points in 67 games with the uh, Canucks last year. So, uh, a lot of people not liking the contract. Uh, he's been battling a little bit this year. Wait and see. I think he's a guy who maybe doesn't put up those points, but if he puts up 35, 40 points at that money, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not the worst contract. They have worse contracts. Louis Erickson, hopefully, is coming off the book soon for them. Brayden Holpe's deal is going to be done after a year. The expansion draft's going to happen. They're going to lose a lot of money. Edler's coming off the books. They're going to be fine. It, I, I think it's an uh, it's a fine deal. He's a guy that can play in your top six. He scored 20 goals before. He can play in your bottom six and still be a factor. So I think it's a fine move for them. It's not an overpayment, not an underpayment. It's about what he should make, especially in a pandemic. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets forward, tough news for them. Boone Jenner set to miss the rest of the season with a broken finger. John Tortorella said uh, a couple days ago uh, he took a deflected Patrick Line shot that got him in the hand Tuesday against Tampa. They had more... Uh, they had more studies and, and, and x-rays done and found out that it broke his finger. Uh, he will finish the season with eight goals and nine assists over 41 games. He was a um, he was a guy that could have been a trade uh, trade product over the course of the next couple of days. So, unfortunately, Columbus probably not moving that guy anymore for any team. And uh, and just tough news. Good, good player, hardworking player. Uh, never want to see that happen, especially with friendly fire. So, hopefully, he'll be uh, good and ready to go for next year. Uh, more history made. Alex Ovechkin yesterday moving into sole possession of second all-time in the power play goals uh, ranking, scoring his 266th power play goal last night. He only now trails Dave Anderchuk, who's also in the 200s. He will beat that record like next year. It's going to be... He's, just keep watching history, people. Keep watching history. Alex Ovechkin just... What a superstar. What a stud. Uh, and then finally here, Winnipeg Jets captain Blake Wheeler is dealing with a concussion. Uh, that was from head coach Paul Maurice saying yesterday, uh, Ottawa Senators forward Brady Kachuk elbowed Wheeler, blatant elbow right in the head during Winnipeg's 4-3 win a couple of days ago. Uh, Kachuk served a minor penalty. Wheeler finished the game. But I, I watched the replay of it because I'm like, oh, when did this happen? And I watched Kachuk with his back turned, look over his shoulder and throw his elbow out right at Blake Wheeler's head. Um... I don't know. There's been a lot of not suspendable plays this year, and that one should have at least garnered a game. Like that was a blatant elbow, but is what it is. Um, hopefully, he'll be back sooner rather than later. Um, and then final news here: Montreal Canadiens forward Brendan Gallagher has been put on LTIR, could be missing anywhere from four to six weeks with an injury. Uh, that is tough news for them. He is a heart and soul guy. He is just a nightmare to play against. An energy he brings it to the team every day. 
and Montreal just going to have to focus on uh, winning games without him, and it's a good thing that they loaded up on the right side. Josh Anderson and Tyler Toffoli are going to be playing a lot more minutes um, to finish off the season, so hopefully uh, he'll be back in time for when they go to the postseason if you know they're hanging on to that fourth spot right now, but I assume they're going to make it, but who knows? Hopefully he'll be okay at that point. Uh, that is it for the show today. Appreciate you listening in and tuning along. If you want to follow me along on any platform that you wish to, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, uh, social media at ST Hockey Podcast. And a reminder, I'm going to be hopping on with Mike Stubbs on 980 CFPL News just after 7 o'clock for his show Friday nights. That is it. I appreciate, again, uh, the patience of, of enduring my little hiatus, but I'm back. Regular scheduled programming. Tuesdays and Fridays, episodes come out. Tell your friends, tell your family members, like, subscribe, do whatever you got to do. Until then, see you Tuesday after the trade deadline. That's a wrap.